All right. This morning, John chapter 4, worshiping whom she didn't know. John chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 4 uh, through 30. This is the, ca- <clears throat> the story of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, and Jesus met her. And uh, uh, there's a lot of speech today about worship, an exponential worship, a healing worship, a professing liturgical worship services, and so on and so forth. But as we thinking about adequately and appropriately worshiping, it involves knowing the person of worship. Now, this knowledge is not merely academic or theological or even rote. It is relational. In fact, I was speaking with someone not too long ago, and they were asking me a question. They said, why is it in the Old Testament we find the word Lord all capitalized, uh, and then we find God? I said, because L-O-R-D all capitalized is Jehovah, and that's a relational Uh, That's God's name that is relational with human beings. God, uh, Elohim, in regards to his power and his might and his creative uh, ability, but Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps, in the Old Testament is the relational aspect of God. And every time that is spelled out there in the Old Testament, it's relational. So as you think upon this in John chapter 4, we're going to read a little bit lengthier section, John chapter 4, verses 4 through 30, for context. Jesus and he must need go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, Jesus therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Then cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked, uh, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that sayest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is the Spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know the Messiah is cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way to the city and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And they went out of the city and came came unto him. You read 
And going down to verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. He abode there two days, and many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. The sad part, as you think about this and her religion, is that it was very cemented into tradition. But just because something is traditional does not mean it's necessarily attached to your heart. You can go through a lot of traditional things. I mean, things that your family has done for years. You don't necessarily know why you do it. You just do it because that's what your family's always done. It's not necessarily a matter of the heart. You're just like, oh, I guess it's, you know, it's kind of like Christmas time. I got to put up these certain decorations, what we've always done, you know. I got to go through this. That's what we've always done. It doesn't necessarily mean that there's a heart relationship there. And as we see today, a woman whose past was then was less than religiously stellar, found a relationship that was transformative but also tender. Religion is distant from God. Christianity is relational with Christ. And the question this morning is, do you personally know the one whom you worship? And the woman would make a statement to the effect that she did not know to whom they worshipped. As we read this passage of Scripture, our world is longing for a relationship that truly satisfies and is secure, no matter what state of mind we're in. I mean, the questioning of Jesus with an unlikely woman and looking at her life shows a woman who's searching for a true and strong relationship. I mean, she's had five husbands. She's now with another man. She is looking for satisfaction. She's looking for someone that will satisfy her that she has not had. She's ended up empty. She had tried the religion of Jacob, as the Samaritans taught. Yet all of this leaves her empty and searching for meaning. It was not until she, meet, she met Jesus that her life changed. And today I want to ask you the question, will you be changed today by personally meeting Jesus? As the events of our community and the fire that claimed the lives of four precious dear children. Some would question how God could let this happen, or for some to question God's even existence. Life is precious. Life is uncertain. No matter how tough, secure, or wealthy you are, life is still fragile. This is a person whom you can place your burdens. It is more than a mere prayer to a distant deity. It is a personal interaction with the one who listens. Psalm 55, 22 and 23, as I thought about what had happened this week in our community, my heart went out to the family and been praying for the, the family and the, and the firefighters and first responders who saw what they saw. In Psalm 55, 22, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. But thou, O God, shalt bring them down to the pit of destruction. Bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in thee. But he says in verse 22 of Psalm 55, Cast thy burden upon the Lord. Here is a woman, she's gone through life and she has a burden. By the very fact of the relationships that is mentioned, obviously there is a lack of satisfaction within the soul. She does not know God. What does Jesus do? He listens to her. He speaks the words to a woman of religion, but also a woman searching 
for true satisfaction. I want to ask you the question, where will you lay your burdens? Where will you lay your cares for the satisfaction of your soul? The principle this morning is come to the living water of Jesus and realize He gives what no person can. Eternal life. Not only for the future, but He also gives abundant life for the present. As we think about these very truths this morning, I want to, let's go to the Lord and ask for His blessing upon this time. And Just a question, you worshiping whom she didn't know. As you think upon that aspect, I want to ask you this morning, do you know Jesus? I'm not talking do you know about Him, but do you know Him? Through His Word, through the Spirit of God, and speaking to your heart, do you know Him? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for Your magnificent Word. Lord, I thank You for the opportunity to stand behind this desk and preach Your Word. It's a privilege, Lord, not a right. Lord, our lives can oftentimes go through a lot of motions of religion without truly knowing the one to whom we're worshiping. Father, I ask if there's anyone here this morning that is not certain of their salvation, where they will spend eternity, that, Lord, they would meet Jesus this morning. Lord, I pray that the truths that are presented would be clear and concise. And, Father, that the words that I speak would come from thee. Help them be poured out for thy glory and honor. Jesus, I love you. And it is a privilege, again, to serve you. Help us, Lord. For those of us as Christians, help us to renew our love for Jesus. To get back to that source of living water that is the only means of satisfying my soul when the trials and troubles of the day tear away and weary me, God, we can come to the well that never dries up. And so, Father, I bring all this before you. I commit it to you. I love you. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. In verses 1 through 9, we find here in this passage of Scripture that there's a specific tradition. Verses 1 through 3, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard, that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Verse 4, and he must needs go through Samaria. So we have here the situation. Jesus had an appointed time. He had a providential meeting with this woman. He must needs go through Samaria. Now this need here is an inner necessity of a growing situation, uh, circumstances. It's kind of like God compelling you. I don't know if you've ever had this time where God works in your heart and in a spiritual way, and, and there's times that God's really impressed upon me. I need you to call this person at this time. I need you to uh, go give a track to that individual you just saw, or I need you to talk to this person. I mean, it's an overwhelming sense in my conscience that I need to do it. And he must needs go through Samaria. God had a divine appointment. God had someone that was in need of what he had to offer. 
And we find here, and this idea of needs is elsewhere translated, and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God, Acts 14, end of verse 22, if you would find that same word used elsewhere in the scriptures. Now it's the sixth hour of the day, which means it is noon. The disciples have gone, let me read a little illustration on the culture, what's going on. The disciples have gone grocery shopping, not the usual time for getting water. It was a hot part of the day. Now this woman, because of her reputation, probably goes to avoid the sneers and the contempt of other women in the area, noting, again, what her past is. So she comes to the hot part of the day when no one else is there because she's already feeling the shame. She doesn't want to be shamed anymore. She's an immoral woman, as, as the scriptures talk about. Jesus has no way of getting water out of the well, and he asked her for a drink. Goatskin bottles with strings were used to draw water out of the wells. And this is to whom God, Jesus Christ, says he must needs go through Samaria. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 10 through 12, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. God goes everywhere we go. Now, in verse 12, for man knoweth, also knoweth not his time. We don't know when life is over. It says, as the fishes that are taken in an evil net, and as the birds that are caught in the snare, so are the sons of men snared in an evil time, when it falleth suddenly upon them. We don't know how, when, how many days we're going to live this life. And so it is important and imperative, Jesus says, I must needs go through Samaria. Not only is there the need to go, there's a specific place to go, a divine appointment. It's a divine location. You know, when God calling my wife and I to minister up here in the north, there was a specific place God desired for us to minister. If you're in your workplace, that's a divine place that God has placed you. He must needs go through Samaria. Now, it's not the end point for him. But he has to go this location. Oftentimes, the Jews would go around Samaria because the Samaritans were an ostracized group of people. They just weren't liked. Now, Israel was 193 kilometers from north to south. There were three main divisions in the land at this time. And the northern section was Galilee, and the southern region was Judea, and in the central area was Samaria. The shortest route to Galilee is through Samaria. Another route to Galilee was through uh, Perea, which is east of the Jordan River. So they would go east of the Jordan River and come back across. Perea was often traveled by the Jews because they hated the Samaritans. Jesus doesn't care about cultural biases or any racial division. And I'll talk more about that here in a little bit. But the place he's going to, verse 5, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. They're going back to the, the ancestors, the fathers. It's a place of historical significance. Here's a remembrance of Joseph, uh, whom God used to save the Israelite people. Jacob gave this to his son Joseph. I mean, Jacob, whose name would later be turned, would later change to Israel. So there's significance. The Israelites came from Jacob. Jacob came from Isaac, uh, or, uh, 
And then you find Isaac came from Abraham. So it's a historically significant place. Joseph is a memorable and admired person in Israelite history. Jacob's well still exists today. It is one of the deepest wells. In, seven, in the year 1700, it was 32 meters deep. In 1861, it was 23 feet deep because of all the pebbles that had been thrown into the, by pilgrims. The well is about 2.3 meters in diameter and has been dug through solid rock. Joseph was faithful to the Lord. You know what we can do? We can live on the testimony of our parents and ancestors. Well, they did this, so I can live this. They, did, you know, they, they had this faith, so this is my faith. We can live on their faith. We can live on the historically significance. I mean, there are oftentimes monuments and things. If you're a history buff, there are certain places you really want to go to because of the historical significance of that location or the individual that was there. You would love to go there if you're a history buff. Now, I want you to notice with me something. I want you to notice the condition of Jesus. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, what are the next two words? Being wearied. How many of you ever get tired? How many of you are tired this morning, right? You're thinking, oh, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm exhausted. Long week. Hard week. Have you ever had it when God tells you, I want you to do something? You're, God, I'm really tired. Lord, I'm really tired. God says, I've got a job for you to do. But God, I'm just too tired. Thankful you made a choice to be in church this morning. Here is Jesus exhausted. But he labors because of a focus of an individual. The person matters more to him than his own personal weariness. Because to Jesus, people matter. He says, I came to be a servant. The labors to get out the gospel are not easy. There is real perspiration required. Blood, sweat, and tears. I mean, he's been with people for days. He's been ridiculed by the religious people. He's been with a lot of people. And now he has to meet with a woman. <laughs> but there's an appointment. She's searching for what she doesn't know. Jesus sacrifices his time to come at the noon hour. You find here in verse 6, it talks about his weariness. For those that would say, much like some might say, well, Jesus was only, uh, you know, he was like an apparition, or he, was a, uh, he wasn't real, really human. I, to that I say, that is hogwash. That's not real. That's false. It says he was wearied. Look with me at verse 33, same chapter. Therefore said the disciples one to another, hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus is hungry and he's weary. Some people get quite hangry, I guess, if you, kind of a modern vernacular. Hungry and angry, so you put hangry together, and it's not Jesus' disposition, though. He's tired. Have you ever been in the service for God, doing something that God wanted you to do, and you're just like, man, I'm exhausted. 
this whole idea, well, I just need some extra rest, but if you know you're supposed to doing it, oh, I just need to sleep. You need to sleep, but you also, more importantly, you need to do God's will. Whatever it is, whatever it is, right? He must need, so there's an appointed time, there's an appointed location that God has for us. In Hebrews 4.15, it tells us about Jesus, for we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. So then Jesus, in verse 7, he begins to talk about life. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. I'm thirsty. Can you, can you give me some water? Uh, uh, mm, uh, mm, uh. Here's a Jew and a man talking to me. Uh, that's not very good. I want you to look with me, verse 27. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? Jesus does not regard race or gender. I want to read a little bit of cultural understanding for you on this situation and on this account here. A Jew speaking with a Samaritan. A Samaritan would be partially Jew and partially Gentile. So they're kind of a mix in cultures. But the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. The word dealings means to associate or use together. The Jewish people would ask no favors of the Samaritan people, but yet Jesus did. They were not to even use the same dishes or vessels of the Samaritans used. Rabbinic law, rabbi's law, stated that all Samaritan women were unclean. If you drank from the vessel of a Samaritan woman, you were ceremonially unclean. The Pharisees taught that no Samaritan would be raised in the resurrection. You can see the disdain the Jews had for these people. In fact, when the enemies of Jesus wanted to insult him, they called him a Samaritan. When Jesus speaks to her, she is confused. She more or less says, are you talking to me? Why? I'm a woman and I'm a Samaritan. By speaking to her, Jesus breaks the barriers of sex, race, and prejudice. The prejudice of that day prohibited public conversation between men and women, Jews and Samaritans. Jewish rabbis would rather go thirsty than to violate this custom. Rabbis would not talk to their wives, daughters, or sisters in public. If he did this, It would hurt his reputation. Jesus made himself of no reputation. There's an important point we will make right here. Many Christians will not live for God or stand up for him because they're worried about their reputation in the world. They are more concerned about their acceptance with the crowd than their acceptance and approval of Jesus Christ. Beloved, stop worrying about your reputation. The world is not worrying about you. You must realize you will never totally please the crowd you cater to. End quotes. I find it amazing, he's going through a location that is forbidden, really is frowned upon. He speaks to a woman, which is frowned upon. He speaks to a Samaritan, which is really frowned upon. And upon all, I mean, he is just breaking all these cultural norms. Now, I want you to understand this. As God's ambassadors to the nations, Israel was to be a light. 1 Chronicles 16, 24. Declare his glory among the heathen, his marvelous work among all nations. Israel was to go to the nations, and yet in their religious uh, sentiments, they created a barrier. We don't talk to the Samaritans. 
Israel was God's ambassador to the world, and yet they find religious cultural barriers. I want you to understand, when man becomes the proprietor or the originator of truth and not God's word, then man places himself in preeminence and there is division. Racism has never been a part of God's program. Never. It is religion and the pride of man that hardens hearts to others, but God does not. In Acts chapter 17, verses 25 and 26, neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and and hath made of one blood all nations of men. And the verse goes on. Different races will understand the culturally acceptable norm of division. But that is not in God's economy. Malachi chapter 2 verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Hath not God created us? The verse goes on. Jesus' religion, Jesus' faith regards all people, all men and women as equal and all as sinners. All sinners can be a made can be made alive in Christ. 1 Corinthians 15:22 For as in Adam all die even so in Christ shall all be made alive. I want you to understand with me this morning. It does not matter your background, it doesn't matter your gender, it doesn't matter uh, your race or culture or whatever you want to say. It does not matter before Christ. What matters is the heart before God and the heart with God. In verses 10 through 27, we find a specific religion. She said, if thou knewest, Jesus answered and said unto her, verse 10, if thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him and he would have given thee living water. She says, woman, you don't know who I am. Look with me at verse 11. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? She changes her mood. At first she's startled. Is he talking to me? There's no one else around, so he must be talking to me. But She questions the very source of this pale. She still regards religion. Verse 12, Art thou greater than our father Jacob? I mean, they put Jacob on a pedestal. He's some great patriarch. So Jesus brings it back down. Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Whether it's a man or it's any water from this well, you're going to get thirsty again. We're going to need more water. You find in verse 13 that physical appetites won't satisfy. You know what sin is pleasurable for a season? Cheating on a test, if you're in school, is good for a time. You want to know something, though? It would be amazing if you cheated on a test in school or something you're graded on, you've cheated on it, and then the teacher gets up and says, Hey, come on up here. You did so well on your test. I want, I want to praise you, and I want to give you this. And you're thinking, oh my. Oh my. That gut feeling like, oh, I didn't do it the honest way. 
now I'm in a pickle. Do I say something? I mean, that, that's the worst. Especially when you're praised and you've done wrong, you're thinking, I don't deserve it. And then Jesus says something where he talks about a satisfaction that is beyond just temporal gain. Verse 14. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. The water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. You know, life is difficult. Life is hard. There's a lot of trials. There's a lot of hurt and pain. And he's telling you, he says, listen, there's a water inside. I can fill your soul. I was reading this morning in Psalm 69. And uh, essentially, save me, O God, for the waters overflow me. I mean, it's like trial, wave upon wave upon wave upon wave of pain comes upon me. You know what? I have access to an everlasting fountain that doesn't dry up, that can fill my soul. We can be spiritually whole and have a guaranteed life in heaven. He says, number one, I can give you where your soul doesn't thirst. And number two, I can give you eternal life. So he entices with spiritual wholeness. The woman saith to him, sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. She's still thinking, well, if you could give me that water where I'm never thirsty again, and I never have to come back to this well, sign me up. I mean, if I could have that little pill and my body has all the nourishment it never needs, I mean, however it comes, but if I never am thirsty again, no matter what I do, sign me up. She's totally thinking, you know, drinking water. And I'm getting thirsty actually drinking, (laughs) being up here. I mean, the world looks for wholeness. The world wants an immediate fix. If you follow this plan, this 14-day plan, uh, you'll lose weight You'll feel better. You'll be more healthy. You'll be more spiritually whole. Whatever the case. I mean, 14 days, 28 days, however long the the plan is, right? Then Jesus asks a question. Jesus said to her, go call thy husband and come hither. And he asks her a question. And the fact is, the questioning he's asking is saying, listen, God knows everything and he sees everything that you do. We're going to have to answer to him someday. Numbers 32.23, some years ago, there was something that I had done, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to be able to get away with this sin. Numbers 32.23, but if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. And you want to know what, when I was trying to hide that sin, man, that verse came back to my mind. It bothered me. I was like, oh, leave me alone. Be sure your sin will find you out. Like, oh, I mean, this whole Me Too movement that came several years ago with all these people who had been doing some evil things, it came to light, and it brought a whole lot of shame. I mean, that whole thing even years ago with the Ashley Madison, this horrible website, and hackers got it and divulged names. Be sure your sin will find you out. Luke 12, 2 tells us, For there is nothing covered shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. (laughs) 
everything you do will one day be revealed. I've got to take an account of my life to the Lord. The woman proclaims that she's a sinner. She said, I have no husband. You know what? There's no receipt of the living water apart from a recognition of your condition. There has to be an understanding of a need for being saved. She, she says, number one, I'm thirsty. Number two, uh, what you're saying is true. And, and she's saying, listen, Lord, this is my condition. In Psalm 68, 20, he that is our God is the God of salvation. And unto God, the Lord, belong the issues from death. We have to understand that God is our salvation, not our works. God came to us for us to know him, and his name is Jesus. Verse 19, the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. She's still thinking in physical terms. She's still thinking the immediate term. But she had a form of godliness, but denied the power thereof. Verse 20, our fathers worship in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. I mean, she doesn't, she's really doesn't understand who Jesus is. You see, verse 21, worship without true faith holds no certain place for a relationship with God. Verse 21, Jesus saith, the woman, uh, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. There's a fact, he's saying, listen, when Jesus came, I mean, there's churches all over the place. I mean, there's meeting and, and God's Holy Spirit that's with us. And he says, listen, there's worship is not just bound to Jerusalem. Verse 22, you worship, ye know not what. From That's where I got the title. He, Jesus says, you are worshiping what you don't know, whom you don't know. She's merely going through the religious actions, but the religious actions are not affecting her life. They're not changing her. They're not satisfying her. Have you ever had a period of time in your life that maybe you're attending a church or you're doing stuff for God without knowing God and you still feel empty? I mean, you're going through the motions. I'm doing my prayers. I'm reading my Bible. I'm doing all of this stuff. And I just, I don't know. I don't know him. I mean, in your soul, you're just like, there's got to be more. There's got to be more. Why am I so unhappy? Why am I so empty? Been there? And Jesus gives us the invitation. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is the Spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit. And in truth, he says, listen, you've got to do it from your heart. There's got to be something genuine. Don't follow the, just the tradition. We must have our spirit right with God first, and we must know the truth. Jesus deals with her condition, and Jesus deals with her tradition. Verse 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. We can only worship God truly in spirit and in genuine doctrine, which is the fact of her condition, but she also needs the Messiah. There's only one way to approach God. We can't worship God any way we please. Religion knows about the Messiah, but it doesn't know him. Verse 25, the woman saith to him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. She knows about the Messiah, 
She's heard about the Messiah who's coming. And the one who's standing right there before her, she doesn't know that he is who he says he is. Can you imagine the look on her face when he says, I that speak unto thee am he. Jesus is right before you. He's broken, the, he's broken any cultural norms. He doesn't care. He's broken gender because he understands that woman has something that she needs. He's tired. He needs rest. But he knows that she has a greater need. We find a specific heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. A woman had courage to speak to others who knew. I mean, verses 28 through 30. You think about this. She goes to the men and speaks to them. That was frowned upon for a woman to speak to men in public. And yet she does that. Verses 28 through 30. She says, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. She says, listen, you know how bad my life is? She says, come meet the man who told me all about me. Yet he still talked to me. He's a Jew. He talked to a woman and he talked to a Samaritan. He's not like the other Jews. She felt accepted by Christ. In John 4, 39, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all that ever I did. The woman's changed. Her change. It sparked an interest in others. He told you what? Yeah, he told me all about my past. I mean, I've had five husbands. I mean, you know me. I'm not kind of the, it's, it's not a good thing for marriage and me. She was a bold witness because her life was transformed. She had met Jesus. She was honest about her sinful life. She had come to recognition, this is where I'm at. Jesus wanted to stay and, and did, though he was tired. I mean, verse 40, think about this. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. He's already tired. And two more days he stays. Because he says, listen, there's some people that are hungry. True gospel witness doesn't let physical fatigue hinder them from proceeding forward. But that God's will dictates their labors and their endeavors. Too often we're like, well, I'm just too tired to do that. I'm too, too tired to serve God. It's my time. It's the me time. It's whatever time. Thankfully, Jesus didn't regard his weariness. The truth of God and of faith in Christ that was believed, it led to eternal life. In verse 44, 41, excuse me, and many more believe because of his own word. Some are saying, well, she might be saying this. She's not the most reputable. I mean, come on now. Let's go see him for ourselves. They see him and their, you know, their jaw drops. There's an individual decision to believe, and no one else can choose your belief in God. Verse 42, and said unto the woman, now we believe not because of thy saying, we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Here are those that are rejected by the Jews to whom Jesus came. They rejected him, and yet the Samaritans embraced him. P. 
People truly understand Jesus wasn't just a prophet or a good person or a kind teacher. He was the promised Savior. And my friend, this morning, you can meet Him too. If you by faith trust that His death on that cross, His burial in that grave, but most importantly, that resurrection from the dead, that defeated the sin, the death, the curse of sin, and He rose up, up from the grave He arose. And because He lives, I can face tomorrow as the hymn song goes. My friend, here's a woman, unlikely, the Jews wouldn't have reached her. The very people given the commission to be a light to the world were the very ones that would not have reached this woman because they were all about, well, see that lifestyle? I'm not going near that. Jesus says, no, that's who I came for. They that are whole need not a physician. Illustration here on a physician. I believe in a physician when I put my case into that physician's hand and trust him to cure me. I believe in a lawyer when I leave my case in his hands and trust him to plead for me. I believe in a banker when I put money into his hands and allow him to keep it on my behalf in the bank. I believe in my Savior when I take him to be my Savior, when I put my helpless case into his hands and trust him to do what I cannot do for myself. Save me from my sin, have you done so? You believe there is such a person as Jesus and that he is the sinner's Savior. You do well. That is only partial and incomplete faith. To believe that a certain doctor exists and has a large practice is not to believe personally in that doctor. True faith contains a moral as well as an intellectual element. And when the former is wanting, the latter can avail but little. Do you repose your moral confidence in him as being to you the Savior that you need, as one whose character and office are congruous to the wants of your nature? You are a sinner. He, reps, he represents himself as Savior. You are a lost one. He has died to find you. You are dead. He presents himself as a resurrection and the life. The point is, do you take him by faith to be what he reveals himself to be? That is, believing on him. If you can say in your heart, yes, I believe in him, then the Holy Spirit of God can no longer convict you of sin. All your sins were laid on the Lamb of God who bore the sin of the world. There is no longer a case against you. The summons is dismissed. There is no condemnation. You are pronounced acquitted and accepted in the beloved. End quote. W.T. Aitken. This woman found freedom, peace, joy, and acceptance with Jesus Christ. Jesus starts with a physical need. I need water. But the real need was that he gave satisfaction unto eternal life. Jesus met this woman at a particular time, knowing that the time of, life, of one's life is precious and short, eternally speaking. I want you to think about your life. James 4.14, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a short time and then vanisheth away. You know what? Life is short. It could be just in a moment, the heart attack, or something else could happen, and your life is done. You can plan for the future, but the true planning must be for eternity. Psalm 27, 23, and 24. Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks, and look well to thy herds. 
for riches are not forever, and doth the crown endure to every generation. You can prepare for retirement, but you also ought to be preparing for eternity. All of these Samaritans knew that they were not pure Jews, and they had a history of intermarriage with Canaanite peoples. Yet Christ wasn't concerned about that. He was concerned for the soul of a woman who had a need that only he could give. Emotion without devotion is nothing more than commotion. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, please be open and honest with him. Just like this woman confessed, she says, here's my life. It's not right. She puts her faith in Jesus. He forgives her. And she's changed from the inside out. The answer to your life is first, you must meet Jesus. Place your faith in Him. I trust this very, this very day, in this moment, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ, where are you going to spend eternity? Well, I'm just going back to the dirt. You better be certain. You better be certain. You know that your sin deserves God's penalty, and that's where the Bible calls hell. And If you'll simply accept what Jesus did, that easy, that easy to do. It's easy for you, hard for him. Jesus came to this woman. He says, listen, I came to give you everlasting water, everlasting life. You'll never thirst again. If you're a Christian, lay aside the prejudice. Be willing to reach all people with the glorious message that Jesus Christ is the only way to be reconciled to God, and he is the means of receiving all of God's blessed promises. This morning, as we come to the time of invitation, I'll have Mrs. Pat come forward. I want you to be thinking about this in your life. Number one, have you ever met Jesus? Is there a time in your life where you've put your faith and trust in Jesus alone? Do you know for sure if you breathe your last breath, if an accident occurs, if something happens in your life, do you know for sure that where you're going to go to for eternity. Eternity is a long time, forever and ever. You better know for sure that Jesus is your Savior. If you'd like to know more, I'd love to share with you after the service how you could know. There is some tracks there. You're welcome to grab one of those on the way out. And they can explain it as well. But you better know Jesus. This woman met Jesus and it changed her. And others saw it. They saw the transformation in a woman who many would disregard. That's what Jesus does. And Christian, you know what? Jesus encountered a lot of prejudice. Both from those who were, mainly from those of his own people. It was those outside of his culture many times would accept him. You know what? It's not just to our people, it's also to other cultures that we're to give out the gospel. Jesus is for all people. And if you're a Christian, may you give out that glorious message. Even if you're tired, even if you're weary, don't let that stop you from giving out the greatest message this world needs to hear as the music plays with heads bowed and eyes closed. You just pray and talk with God. First question, do you know for sure if you breathe your last breath, you could go out that door, an accident could happen, something else could happen. 
I encourage you, please settle today where you're going to spend eternity. And Christian, the media, social media, peers, friends, family, there's a lot of prejudice that's discussed, biases. That's of the devil. Put, lay that aside. And if we look through the eyes of God, we'll see all people of one blood of all nations for whom Jesus died. And may we be faithful till Jesus comes or until we die to give out that glorious message. As I was preaching this morning, I trust that God worked in your heart. Just some moments for you to pray and talk with God. You're precious in the sight of God. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's a glorious thing to be a child of God. You can settle eternity today.